You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Women's Hope Podcast. I am Kimberly, and I am here again with Shelby. Friend, it has been so good to be with you in these last weeks, and especially today, to wrap up our discussion on Titus 2, 3 through 5. We originally thought that this episode would be four parts. <laughs> Oops. Um and maybe with a Q&A, well, guess what? We doubled that. We are twice that long. It has been a wonderful journey, though, mining the scripture for treasure on this valuable topic. And you and I have seen it enrich our own lives mm -hmm. as we teach it to the other women. And that's what God's word does. So it has been so good. We, I think you would agree with me, are living in very vulnerable times, right, Shelby? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, the model of biblical marriage and home has continued to be undermined since the garden with Eve. And the mother of all living, she listened to the serpent, questioned God's authoritative word, and became the first woman to disobey her husband's authority and God's design for a complementarian marriage. And if we even talked about this when we had a lovely dinner at your home a couple weekends ago, mm -hmm. try to name a sitcom where a husband is not made out to look like a lazy doof who displays no leadership in the home. And when he does, he's either undermined or mocked or both. Yep. And it's it's infiltrating the church. So when we partner this type of thinking um, that women are being inundated through social media influencers, uh, the most recent wave of the feminist movement in all of its glory, then all the questionable books that are being written, marketed, and sold specifically to Christian women, it is no doubt why we are seeing so many problems arise within the church. All of this that's partnered by um, a dearth of older godly women to come alongside younger women and show them scriptural truth, we're seeing so much harm being done, Shelby. Sadly, much of it is done in the name of Christ, and it is propagated within the church. Uh, Paul deeply, deeply cared for women. Some say he was a male chauvinist. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. That, again, is the feminist movement within the church. But he cared so much for women. Um, he addressed how women are to be cared for within the context of the local church in our study of Titus 2. And that's what we've been really 
banging the drum of over the last few weeks. And I just wanted to share a little story because I really feel that this was scripture being played out as a warning in my own home many years ago. Um, I recall as a new mother, I was having a really hard day with my very first newborn baby. And as a stay-at-home mom, I had no one near to help, and my beloved was on a business trip. Yikes. (laughs) Yes. And to top it off, we were living in Bakersfield. (laughs) So that's an inside joke for all the California listeners. (laughs) But it was it was it was a hard day. I was an emotional train wreck. I wasn't thinking biblically. And that particular morning, I was so lonely. And I I really truly believe that as I look back on that, that was the perfect storm for deception. Hmm. And guess what happened that day? <laughs> My doorbell rang. And guess who it was? JW's. It was. <laughs> It was the Jehovah Witnesses, and it was these two sweet little ladies that knocked on my door. And here I was, a young mom (laughs) with this crying baby, and I didn't know what to do. And they gave me their literature, and I took it because I knew enough if I took it that maybe somebody else wouldn't get it, (laughs) even though I wasn't going to read it. And um, I thanked them for stopping by. But I remember specifically them trying to frighten me with how in the world was I going to raise this new daughter in these evil days? And I remember only really two things from that particular encounter with the JWs. And it was how vulnerable I was the moment I opened the door. And how grateful I was for God's protection from deception. Mm. And Shelby, we know that there's nothing new under the sun. But I do have to say that we also know that these things that are under the sun are going to go from bad to worse. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so just for a second, I want us to look at 2 Timothy 3 and before we go and dig into our last passage in Titus. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then it says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Quite a list. Wow. And that it specifically says that those people are going after women. Yeah, Hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. 
So this is what we are seeing with all the deceptive material and speakers that are available to women today. It's no longer knocking on our doors like the JWs. It's on our social media. It is everywhere. And it comes much more readily, much more easily, Mm. quickly. Um, These teachers are creeping in, which is the idea of stealthily creeping in undetected. We don't even know it's happening. And then boom, the deception has taken place. And capturing weak women, taking captive, holding hostage weak women. So there are women, uh, one woman in particular, Rachel Hollis, who professes Christ, posted a choreographed, conceited, horrible video a couple of weeks ago then later does some sort of blame-shifting apology on Twitter, reaching millions, Mm -hmm. millions of women within their homes within minutes. Some of these women are neck deep in their sin and their impulses, and it makes them vulnerable to such teachers. It also says that they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. MacArthur says this, just as wrong doctrine leads to wrong living, so can their wrong living lead to embracing wrong doctrine. I really felt like that quote explained why we do what we do. Absolutely. To help women to be sound in their doctrine. And we'll talk a little bit about that conference later because you're teaching on that at that conference, aren't you? That is right. Mm -hmm. That is right. So Satan is targeting women, and this is why we need the whole armor of God. Many teachers and teachings out there today look Christian, but really they are merely appealing to our flesh, and they are luring women down a path that is lacking discernment and leaving them vulnerable to erroneous teachings. By the way, I found it ironic that Rachel Hollis's last book was called Girls Stop Apologizing (laughs) because that's exactly what she Mm -hmm. attempted to do. She is a bestseller book author on the New York Times list, and she is luring countless young women, I would say in their 20s and their 30s into her syncretistic approach to a fulfilled life. I have a friend that said that she is the Joel Olstein woman, (laughs) the female version. (laughs) That's pretty scary, actually. Yeah, it is not a compliment. So ladies, please know, I don't share these things joyfully. Really, quite honestly, it's with sorrow. It breaks my heart that this is what's going into the, the minds of women. And in a protective way, too. Yes, very much so. (laughs) You know, I do want to warn women, um, please do not bring her material into your front door, much less into your hearts. So Shelby, that's not all that's happened since you and I recorded our last podcast. Someone else sent out a controversial apology on Twitter, and it plays right into our hands on the topic of today's podcast. So I'm going to read it as well because it's pretty lengthy. Um, On April 7th, Beth Moore tweeted this three-part thread, and I quote, Let me be blunt. 
when you functionally treat complementarianism, a doctrine of man, warning, 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 that's parts me, <laughs> as if it belongs among the matters of first importance, yea, as a litmus test for where one stands on inerrancy and authority of scripture, you are the ones who have misused scripture. You went too far. I beg your forgiveness where I was complicit. I could not see it for what it was until 2016. I plead your forgiveness for how I just submitted to it and supported it and taught it. I trusted the motives were godly. I have not lost my mind, nor my doctrine, just my naivety. And dudes, do not DM me. Spend your energy tending to your house. Whoa. That's all I can think of. It's just whoa. <laughs> okay. It's been over two decades mm -hmm. that you and I have discouraged the following of Beth Moore's teaching. As some of her teaching, and it started out small, little things here and there that we began to question. None of us are perfect in our teaching. We want to be concise and do our best, but there were some warning flags even over two decades ago. And what started out as questionable teachings has now turned into a frightening influence on today's Christian women. So not only did she call it a doctrine of man, but she sought forgiveness for teaching a biblical doctrine. That is scary. Now, this is a result of the fall. We see this in Genesis, and we have been seeing it all along. And Scripture tells us that as women, we will desire to be in control, in control of our husbands. And many commentators have really tried to explain that away um, by saying that the word desire is a sexual desire. Right. But you cannot look at that in Genesis 3.16 in the context of just a few verses later of Genesis 4.7 with Cain and Abel and say that that's sexual. It is not. It's control. Mm -hmm. It is control. So we know, bottom line, there is a spiritual war that is taking place that is very organized and very strategic in fighting against those things that will point mankind to the gospel. So it is only fitting that the institution of biblical marriage and family are also coming under attack. What was designed to be the foundation of a healthy society has been rocked to its very core through the sexual revolution, through feminism, all the while it is condemning the traditional roles of women and the family in society as well as the church. And I would go as far to say egalitarianism is contributing to this as well. As the church is taking a blow to the model of male headship. While I have no doubt that Beth Moore needs to seek forgiveness, 
as well as we all do for our sin and we need to repent, asking for forgiveness for teaching what God has ordained as roles is dangerous. It's a slippery slope. Yes. And we are mocked when we even say those two words, Shelby, when we throw those warning flags out and we say, be careful, this is a slippery slope, we get mocked. Mm -hmm. And this is a this is case in point right here. Absolutely. This is two decades of a slippery slope. Yeah. Slow fade. Mm -hmm. So Shelby, I'm going to read our passage one last time. Kind of bittersweet. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to use the legacy standard Bible that many of our friends were involved in translating because I do like the way it's translated. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. So I do want to point out the word own there is in the Legacy Standard Bible, the ESV, as well as the NASB. But it's left out of the NIV. I think that that word is really important, women, because there have been many, because of leaving out the word own, Take this to mean that there is a blanket submission of all women to all men everywhere, always. And we discussed this in episode 106, and we invite you to go back and listen to it. Like all other Christian wives, younger wives are to be taught this good thing of being subject to their own husbands, as it is to be to the Lord. We are willingly placing ourselves under our husband's headship, and this is a pleasing thing to God. As you recall, we spent quite a bit of time also going over Ephesians 5, through 24, that says, Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, as you recall, we explained that the word everything does not mean if your husband is calling you to sin. Yeah, of course. In that case, clearly in the whole counsel of God, We must obey God rather than man. So as you nurture this virtue of willingly placing yourself under your husband's headship, I just wanted to wrap up this idea with a few questions. And I'm going to post these questions on Instagram so that the women can look at them later and they'll be written out for them. And I would suggest that they copy them. Uh, and post them somewhere, uh, maybe in the back of their Bibles or something, or near that passage 
so that you can ask yourself these practical questions from time to time. Because I know I looked at them as I was typing them out and thinking through them and really praying that I'm displaying these things in my home and in my heart. So the first question I have is, do you joyfully use the gifts that God has given you as a support and a help to your relationship with your spouse? And I use that word help very intentionally because God used that word in the very beginning when he created Eve as a helper suitable. So do you, this is the second question, view the concept of helper negatively or positively? If negatively, I would challenge you to do a word study on the word helper and see what you learn about God. And pray about areas where you may have wrong thinking and create a plan of action to change. Third, do you communicate your thoughts, desires, and dreams with your husband as one would with a best friend? I like that. Yeah. Think about it. Are we it ties just, in with Titus too, anyway. It's totally, <laughs> the way totally to love the, them. the friendship love, right? Mm-hmm. Phileo love. Number four, do you have the desire to please God as unto the Lord in the forethought of your heart as you place yourself under your husband's leadership? Or are you just doing it because you have to? Sometimes we just go through the motions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And our heart's not really in it. We're not worshiping rightly Mm -hmm. when our heart motives are not in the right place when when we are desiring to serve our husbands. Number five, do you strive to be a learner so you can follow your husband's lead with confidence in what you have learned from scripture? Or are you carelessly following your husband without being theologically informed or convicted from scripture? Great question, Kim. Boom. (laughs) And it really plays into what I'm going to be teaching at the Carousels Conference, right? Mm -hmm. To be women of sound doctrine. And number six, do you build your husband up or do you tear him down with the way you speak to him and the way you speak about him? Doing this so that the word of God will not be dishonored as seen in verse five Are you honoring the word of God in your God-ordained relationship and roles with your husband? Just a small group of questions that are packed with a lot to think about, Shelby. And I want to close what I say with this quote that I found in Dr. MacArthur's commentary on Titus. And I found it important to share because we did have Ray Rhodes on who wrote two books about Susanna Spurgeon and then with their marriage and how it was so complimentary. You know, I really think that this is important. Um, And Charles Spurgeon actually wrote this about Susanna as a tribute to her. And that is so sweet and is so beautiful. And this is what Charles Spurgeon says. She delights in her husband, in his person, in his character, his affection to her. He is not only the chief and foremost of mankind, but in her eyes, he is all in all. Her heart's love being belongs to him 
and Him only. He is her little world, her paradise, her choice treasure. She is glad to sink her individuality into Him. She seeks no renown of herself. His honor is reflected upon her, and she rejoices in it. She will defend his name with her dying breath. Safe enough is he where she can speak for him. His smiling gratitude is all the reward she seeks. Even in her dress, she thinks of him and considers nothing beautiful, which is distasteful to him. He has many objects in his life, some of which he does not quite understand, but she believes in them all, and anything she can do to promote them, she delights to perform. Such a wife as a true spouse realizes the model of marriage relation and sets forth what our oneness with the Lord ought to be. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful quote. You know, I had come across that quote um, when I was doing my study as well. So I'm so glad you included it because I was thinking that needs to be read. It's so rare. Right. You know, I mean, that's just beautiful that the husband wrote that about his wife. I love it. Women, would that not be the joy of all of our hearts if Mm -hmm. our husbands could say the same about us? Reminds me of Proverbs 31, you know, what the husband says about his wife at the gates. Absolutely. Her reputation. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thanks for including that. I'm very thankful for that because I think it really does express just our heart, what our heart attitude ought to be Mm -hmm. towards our husbands. Um, And I also love those questions, Kim. Those are really convicting and just great. What a great way to examine our own hearts. Um, So thank you for your careful study and just kind of helping us think through and defending well complementarianism because I think it's just completely under attack. It is. You know, I mean, you and I see that because we're a little bit more concentrated on that topic, but we, we are seeing it on a daily basis, aren't we? All Things the time. Things we're reading and mm-hmm. whatnot. But as we kind of go back to our verse in Titus 2, a um, couple things to kind of point out there because we're coming to sort of the closing of it. Um, but, you know, Paul, he uses an adverb clause um, in verse 5, which, mm-hmm. which answers the question, Why? Why should the young women love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, and even being subject to their own husbands? And Paul tells us why. So that, or we could say, or in order that, the message of the word will not be slandered. Um, LSB says slandered, other versions say uh, reviled, dishonored. Um, Those are all really good words. Mm -hmm. We get the picture. One commentator referencing this section of Titus said that Christians, for their part, must take care that they do not, by their own conduct, give cause for blasphemy against God or against his word. Indeed, the behavior of Christ's disciples, even towards each other, should contribute to the glory of the Father. And so, Mm. you know, as, as disciples of Christ, we can either bring honor or we can bring dishonor to God's word by how we live our lives. In verse 5, the word that uh, Paul uses uh, for slander or or dishonor translates as blasphemeo, and it means to simply blaspheme or defame. Um, And John John MacArthur makes a really important observation here. He says that 
Paul's point is that we blaspheme God's word, not only in the evil things that we say and do, but also the good things that we fail to say and do. Mm. In both cases, we dishonor God and his word before the church and before the world. Unbelievers judge the genuineness and value of our faith more by our living than by our theology. In doing so, they judge the truth and the power of the word of God by the way in which we live. The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. So let that sink in a little bit. That's That's a really important observation, Wow, you know, because when we, as women, young or old, married, single, when we fail to live out what God calls us to do in his authoritative, sufficient word, we not only dishonor God, but we are also showing that there is no genuine transformation in our life, right? I mean, in other words, every time I choose my own way, because we have choices, we're not robots, Mm -hmm. but every time I choose my own way and not God's way and do not, for example, submit to my own husband is unto the Lord, I become a billboard for the world and not the gospel. Now, I remember many years ago, um, my neighbor was going through a very, really rough patch in her marriage. This dear wife was just overcome with grief. And so She made a beeline and just sought me out. She lived across the street. And one of the reasons why she did that is because she had observed my marriage and my family over many, many years. And as an unbeliever, she was attached to and really took comfort in our stability. And she actually told me that herself, that she Mm -hmm. took comfort in that. And the interesting thing that came out of our conversations together um, is just the criticalness, actually, that she had of the way um, I would make Sean my primary ministry um, or just my priority um, over my kids. You know, for example, there were times when he and I would just get away, Mm -hmm. you know, just the two of us, and my mom would fly out and she would stay with the kids so that we would have that really important time away um, as a couple. But she was critical of that decision because in her mind, she believed that that children should be the center of the family. So they were pretty uh, child-centered. But now, as her kids were leaving the nest, and so she recognized something different than the world and how we lived our lives with each other, and she began to ask me all the whys. Hmm. You know, why is that? And that gave me such a great opportunity um, to really share God's Word with her. I spent a lot of invested (laughs) hours with her as we walked along the path. I'll never forget. And it also gave me the opportunity just to explain just the transformative power of the gospel, not only in our lives, but in our marriage. And this is coming from someone, you know, as I'm explaining to her that I was a former feminist because we got saved six years into our marriage and just to see how uh, God's word has had such an impact or how God and his word had such an impact um, on us. Um, so my neighbor was amazed by the testimony, uh, but sadly, she thought that I was a bit radical <laughs> in my faith and thought that I that what I believed and held firm to um, from God's word, of course, was just a bit over the top, a bit archaic, you know. Um, But I didn't take offense to that because I know that God's word tells me that the word of the cross is is foolishness, you know, often to those that are perishing, you know, to unbelievers. 
Um, and so Sean and I, yeah, we just were called to be faithful, Mm -hmm. um, with his word. And, and because of that, you know, Sean and I, we just continue to, uh, to bring honor to God in that way by being a faithful testimony, you know, by God's grace, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but the testimony actually really does afford you. I've noticed just the opportunity to share the gospel, even within our own families, you know, we have unbelieving family, right? And so that's something. But I am also finding that lately, though, it's getting more difficult than ever before as the world becomes more about self and more about blaspheming God and more about being lovers of pleasure um, than God, like you read in Mm -hmm. your passage. In the last really 29 years of living in that same neighborhood, in that same house, less people really want to interact with you if they know that you're a believer um, who chooses to live by the Word of God. And and they do see that gospel power being lived out in us, but they hate it because right. it goes against the norm of today's culture. And that culture right now is saying what you need to be about is finding your own truth, your own personal truth. And these people, um, like anyone else, you know, they ask questions like, what is the truth of, what is the truth of me? Or why am I here? Um, or what do I have to, to offer? But their answer is different than ours because their answer is always uh, yourself, right? Um, you are enough just as you are. And so you need to be about speaking your own truth. And without a doubt, this mantra of finding your own personal truth definitely blasphemes the Word of God. Mm. Why? Because it's completely centered on self. And sadly, it leads people to hell, quite frankly, right? right? Your own personal truth. And it also seeks to hinder what Jesus says about himself in John 18, verse 37. He says, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Um, And then, of course, the truth just being God's authoritative, inerrant, sufficient word. And I like to use those adjectives because it's important that we are firm on that. Right. Um, We know that God's word is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching us, for reproving us, for correction, and for training us in righteousness so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We also know that the truth is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, and it's able to judge the intentions and thoughts of our hearts. And we know that there's no creature that's hidden from God's sight. And so no personal truth is going to save anybody, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Because God teaches us that there are none righteous, not even one we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we need to acknowledge that fact, and we need to repent by turning from these self-centered messages and placing our faith by God's grace in uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Redemption only comes through Christ. That is the only truth that is going to save anybody. Amen. (laughs) That's right. In fact, John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the word. He's the logos. Um, That he was in the beginning with God, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Didn't have to, but by God's grace, he did. That in him is life. And those who receive him have the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, 
for the law was given through Moses, but we know that grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ alone. This mantra of my own personal truth, which, by the way, is nothing new, I think I could trace that back to the garden. You mentioned Genesis. Right. Um, because remember, the serpent said in Genesis 3, did God actually say? Mm-hmm. And we know, sadly, that uh, that kind of stuff is making its way into the church, those kind of messages. Um, for example, in the name of my own personal truth, what I've observed as a woman uh, believer of you know almost 30 years, um, the way that God's Word is being dishonored is women claiming that they can preach to adult men in the church, even though it defies God's Word and design. That's so clear in 1 Timothy 2.12. And even going so far, like you even said, as to apologize for supporting the theology of male headship in the church and in the home. Now, the Bible does not say that women cannot learn and study and teach his word, because if it did, I'd be in trouble, (laughs) because I do. But it does teach us in what context it can be taught, right? Receive instruction. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's being a learner. That's being a learner. You even pointed that out in your important question. But within my own church, I mean, I'm given the freedom to use my gift of teaching to teach women and children. Um, Titus 2.4 kind of supports that, that I may instruct the young women. But when it comes to teaching men in the church, God's word prohibits that. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. So as women of faith who believe in the authoritative word, we need to continue to honor God by guarding his truth and not allow the world to influence our thinking and our decisions, and then simply decide one day to no longer sit, hold to the theological framework that argues that men and women were created for different roles. I think that's why you and I are so committed to the message we bring on our podcast, because we believe wholeheartedly in a complementarian view, which we believe is reflected in God's word from Genesis throughout, right? Throughout the epistles and, and beyond. And the same goes with headship in the home. Um, Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians eleven three. but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So there's a clear order. There's a clear leadership order. We have said this over and over again in this little passage of just yeah. look at order. It's it's. There is. There's an order. Um, Scripture does not say that women are to teach men in the church and wives are the head of man and all of that. That's, you know, although that is probably considered an archaic truth, but it's not outdated. It's just as relevant as today as it was when it was penned in Scripture. Um, But something I'm thankful for as I was doing this study, I was thinking through how when we do choose to obey Scripture, like this passage we've been going through, Titus 2, 3 to 5, God really does grow us spiritually in our own marriages, um, you know, in our parenting, even with one another in the body of Christ. And I, I think the whole point of Titus anyway is it when we are living out these roles in the way that God calls us to, we begin to earn the respect of outsiders. You know, they see us living um, in a way that honors God. And so ultimately, that's going to lead to conversations about the gospel. So that's a big, huge part of it, like the one I had with my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so I think in conclusion, I I really think there's just a bigger picture here. Um, Because we know uh, from God's word that we actually do not struggle 
against flesh and blood. We actually are battling against spiritual forces of wickedness. Right. There's a bigger picture. Um, so, I mean, isn't it true that Satan has always looked for ways to blaspheme God and his word? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a big part of it. His ways are crafty. There's nothing new under the sun. What you're really seeing is it's just something that's repackaged for each generation. So right now it's my own personal truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to come up with a name for that. It's self-worth gospel too, but it's my own personal truth. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is it's not about me. It's not about my personal truth. I want a coffee cup. It's not about me. (laughs) It's about Christ, um, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. In Christ, we know that all things hold together. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, because we know Jesus is God. And through Christ comes that reconciliation through the blood of his cross, or we would just say through his death. Um, So as a disciple of Christ, my main goal is to point others to Christ, who is the truth, not my own personal truth. Amen. And as a disciple of Christ, I'm to be about seeking his kingdom. He's the king, and I'm the subject, and we're living out his truth for his glory. Just like Sean and I, too bad our listeners can't see this, but I'm holding up three fingers in front of Kim. It's not about we three kings. There's only one king, and you are not it. (laughs) That's our inside joke. That's Um, a good one. That's good. But that is why, you know, uh, that, you know, we must, as Paul says, live in such a way as is described in our passage uh, so that our life reflects what God's word teaches and thereby honoring and glorifying God in the process. Um, So Jesus says it this way. I'll close with with this uh, passage in Matthew 5. He says that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. (laughs) Good word. Shelby, I am so honored to fight the good fight with you, sister, as we speak God's truth to our beloved listeners. With that said, we want to thank you for listening today, and we look forward to closing out this podcast season with the questions that you, our listeners, turned into us when we began this series. You've been keeping track, huh? Yeah. That's cool. I had to put them all in a little note section on my phone to make sure I didn't lose them because they were coming in from all the different social media uh, platforms as well as, you know, different ways. And I was like, okay, I got to keep track of this. So as in the past, uh, we will have a dear sister and special guest to ask the questions that you, our listeners, have sent to us. Melissa Harrison, the wife of Daryl Harrison who is the founder of the Just Thinking Podcast, will be joining us on our listeners' behalf to ask all of the questions that you sent to us. Also, be sure to check out the Care of Souls Conference that is taking place this June 11th and 12th. You can register at careofsoulsconference.org. Shelby and I have a table there, our first conference table, and we will be teaching a breakout session as well. We'd love to see you all there. 
Also, we will be leading three sessions at the online Open Hearts in a Closed World Conference. We're very excited about that. And those questions are going to be asked very shortly. So be sure to follow them on Instagram as well. And you can ask us questions there. And we'll do this again. Uh, They have an Instagram and Facebook account, actually. And they are about to launch an amazing new website. I got a glimpse of it. And there's some really cool stuff there. So if you follow us in our Facebook group, I will keep you posted there with more details as they come. Lord willing, we will be returning Shelby in August with a couple of exciting interviews and a much needed new series. So stay tuned. Until then, I will leave you with these two short verses from 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18 as a challenge. And it just dovetails with everything we have talked about this morning. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people and lose your own firm commitment. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.